Well, good morning, everyone, and happy Easter to you. My name's Rob. In case you don't know me, I'm the senior pastor here, and um, I'll just be taking the next couple of moments to unpack the meaning of the message that we're here to celebrate, the resurrection. Now, I was thinking about this truth this year, and one thing that happened in the last uh, year or so is I noticed that the Holy Spirit moved next door to me. Um, my neighbor, my former neighbor, sold his house. And after selling his house, a new couple moved in, a nice young couple, and they got right to work. Uh, the first thing I noticed as they were getting to work was there was a giant dumpster in the driveway. And for all intents and purposes, from what I could see, I think they gutted the place down to the studs. They filled that dumpster up a couple of times over. And as I was looking, I have to confess, I was a little nosy. I would peer through the windows sometimes, peek through the blinds. And all this work is happening, all this activity, but all the things that I could see, I didn't see anything changing. In fact, Sometimes when you're a nosy neighbor, you look over at the neighbor next door and you think that you could do things better. You think like, you know, maybe they should do a little something with the backyard. Not trying to be critical, but it needed some work. There were trees that looked dangerous to me. There was this old swing set, this shed canvas thingy that was sitting out back. There was just a lot that needed to happen with that backyard. But let's be honest. If we're doing a renovation for the space we're going to live in, we're not going to focus first on my nosy neighbor's concerns. We're going to care more about the kitchen and the bathrooms. There's an order to things. You start with the inside where you have to live. You don't focus on the exterior. But almost as if they were reading my mind, one afternoon I came home and all the trees were down. There was this old privacy fence. They had taken that away. The shed thingy was removed, the swing set, all gone. And then another day I come home and they're putting up this nice white vinyl privacy fence. Maybe they noticed that they had a nosy neighbor. <laughs> now, what they're doing, well, they've installed irrigation. They're putting in a new lawn. They put this beautiful walkout stone patio with a fire pit. Six months ago, I'm watching these people and I'm thinking I could do a better job than they could. And now I'm watching these people and I'm saying, Rob, you've got to stop being such a cheapskate on your own house. <laughs> this, all this work made me think about the transformation that takes place. It reminded me of the power and the implications of the resurrection. Let's be honest, when it comes to Easter, we all know what the message is going to be about. I don't need to issue a spoiler alert, just in case you don't know the story. He's risen from the dead, right? I don't need to say that. We know the story. It's a beautiful story. But sometimes, as we hear about the resurrection, we wonder, what does this have to do with my weekday? It's kind of like those old tools that sit out in the shed. I know I shouldn't just throw the resurrection away, but it just has seemed to have no practical benefit in my life for the last five years or so. Let me just tell you this. 
the resurrection is incredibly practical. If Jesus rose from the dead, then that means that the resurrection changes everything about our lives. Now, the first example, the first case, the first proof that I will cite to you of this reality is the early Christians. You, you have to remember that the first Easter was celebrated by Christians behind locked doors. They were terrified. They thought that the, the suffering that Jesus had just gone through would be a suffering that they might have to endure because they were associated with him. So here you have these individuals, the first Easter, they're behind closed doors, they're shaking in fear, they go into that space paralyzed, wondering if they're ever going to get back to normal life again, and then something happened. They come out of those doors changed. They come out of those doors ready to take on the world. The question I have for you is what happened? What happened? Well, they had met the risen Jesus. You know, in the scriptures, probably no one was more impacted or affected by the resurrection than a disciple who came along later, the Apostle Paul. If you know anything about his story, he was, he was intent. He was set upon bringing Christians to prison. And on the road to Damascus, he met a risen Jesus, and that changed his life. In fact, as you look at Paul's writings, he is constantly talking about the resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 15, he said, if the resurrection didn't happen, then all Christians everywhere are to be the most pitied people because they have nothing to live for. But he says it did happen. And because it happened, it changes everything about their lives. So this morning, for a couple of moments, I just want to look at some of the practical ramifications of the resurrection in your life. And the first implication is this, it's new life. Tell me if you agree with what this author says. He says, we want to change. It seems to be a feature of being human. Maybe not all of us all the time in the same way and to the same extent, but virtually all of us most of the time and to a significant extent want to be different. Do you agree with that? I do. I think that's why we set New Year's resolutions every year. We set them, we don't fulfill them, and then we set them again. We keep coming back to this. That's why some of you watch Dr. Pimple Popper. <laughs> I'm going to be honest, I indulge in an episode from time to time. We want change. You also, when you think about this change, come to realize that we don't ever seem to reach or achieve that which we are striving for. We do things differently, but those things don't seem to scratch the itch. It's because we think of change in these terms, we think of it as a cosmetic change, or a location change, or a lifestyle change. We think that that's the magic ticket. But the Bible tells a different story. The Bible says your life doesn't need a bunch of little improvements. It needs a complete renovation. And this renovation is the new life that the Bible talks about. Paul explains why we all crave deep 
change in our spirit. In Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, he says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now notice what he's saying here. The change that you need is not a simple fix. It's not even a big fix. It's an impossible fix for you. You see, without Jesus, we're all dead in our sin and transgressions. We're separated from God, and we have no ability to find our way back to Him. We're not going to make enough little improvements to change our spiritual condition. Why is that? Well, it's because the dead can do nothing to change their condition. And that's a humbling reality. The first step to get this resurrection power that the Bible is talking about is I have to come to this realization, I can't fix myself. I can't do it. But the, the thing that we can celebrate, this is what the Bible says, God can fix what's broken in me. Listen to the next part of Paul's words. He says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loves us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God fundamentally changed your spiritual condition. You were dead. The Bible says he made you alive. How did he do this? Well, Paul says it takes place in Christ. I like how Sam Albury explains this idea. He says that a Christian is not just someone who votes Jesus from afar. Now, we tend to think that as long as I'm like casually aligned with Jesus, that's great. Like I'm all set. I got this whole Easter thing. I casually agree with the message. But what the Bible talks about when it talks about faith is actually that we are joining ourselves to him. We have union with him. His death becomes our death, which means his resurrection is our resurrection. That's where real change comes. This happens in two ways in the Bible. The first is it talks about us being spiritually raised with him. That happens right now. And then it also talks about us being physically raised with him. That's life changed from the inside out. It's new life that begins the moment that you've trusted Jesus as your savior, and it's new life that continues on into eternity. Now, I think one of the reasons we struggle with change is because we lose motivation along the way. I'm sure, like me, some of you have said, I really need to change this about my life, and I get into it for a week or two, and then I just kind of lose focus and motivation, and I go back to doing what I was doing before. We want something to change, but we don't have the power to make it happen. 
Now, Paul says in the book of Romans that the resurrection provides the power for real change to happen in the here and now. Listen to his words. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Now, notice something important here. This is just like that next-door neighbor dynamic that I experienced. The power for change comes from the change in owners. You see, before Christ... We were owned by sin. We were under its rule and authority. But now, the Bible says, after I've trusted Christ as my Savior, the Holy Spirit of God has moved in, and something changed when the management of my life changed. When sin was my ruler, everything about my life was about what I want, what I get. Even the good things that I did had sinful strings attached. But the Bible says that the Holy Spirit moves in. And when the Spirit moves in, He goes to work renovating the inner person. And a lot of that work begins in kind of quiet, subtle ways. Sometimes when someone has trusted Christ, we can become like the nosy neighbors. We can start telling the Holy Spirit how he ought to fix this person. We look at the Holy Spirit and we say, you know, they've got a really messy backyard. If I was going to start working on this person's life for them, this is how I would suggest that they should go about fixing their problems and fixing their challenges. The Holy Spirit's smarter than we are, a lot smarter. He knows that if he's going to change a person, he has to begin by changing how the person thinks, their worldview. Paul talks about this in Colossians. He says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You see, the Holy Spirit, he changes your mind by giving you something better to think about. Notice how the resurrection is at the center of this change of thought pattern. Let me paraphrase Paul here. You've been raised with Christ. Now this incredible power that was involved in the resurrection is at work in your life now. And since that's the case, you can choose to dwell on better things. You can choose to dwell on the things that are above. Notice that Paul says here that this is a choice. I choose what I will dwell upon. Sometimes I wake up early in the morning and I turn on the news and I start dwelling upon all of the destructive 
things that are taking place all over the world or even in my own backyard, and I fall into this black hole of thinking. Or sometimes I dwell on that individual who hurt me. And I dwell on the fact that that hurt has affected my life. And I don't know if I'm ever going to forgive them. And then I fall into that black hole of thought of resentment and, and bitterness. And sadly, sometimes I just dwell upon how awesome I am. <laughs> you know, all of that is like a destructive black hole thought pattern. It just sucks you in. And the more it sucks you in, the more you start stop losing the joy of life and the peace of life and the motivation for life. You see, the Bible says that there's life-changing power when you choose to dwell on other things, more thing, uh, better things, the things that have to do with Christ's resurrection. Remember, his resurrection means my resurrection. So the same Jesus who rose from the dead, he's now seated at the right hand of the Father. And if that's true, and I promise you it is true, then no matter what I am dealing with right now, whether it is the destructive news cycle, or someone who has hurt me, or even self-focused thoughts, I can pull through it because God's at work in my life, because God's at work in the world, because there are eternal purposes at work. Listen, there are real therapeutic benefits to the resurrection. You know, I was just looking at a study and it said this, that in 2020, $238 billion was spent on mental health issues in the United States of America. 238 billion with a B. Do you think there's a problem with mental health in our country? Of course there is. And as you look at the scriptures, the Bible, it tells us that the only way to achieve real, holistic mental wellness is by having the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. In Philippians 4, Paul says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And here's the benefit. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ. Friend, that is a real benefit. That's a real benefit to this new life. And guess what happens? As the Spirit changes my heart, what I desire, and my mind, what I focus upon, it changes how I behave. You see, the invisible work starts impacting the visible work. What you can't see on the inside starts going out to the backyard and the nosy neighbor starts looking at the backyard and saying, wow, I'm really noticing something different about you. Paul talks about that in Colossians chapter 3. He says, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth 
Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. The Spirit's changing your mind so that your actions begin to actually look more like Jesus. And he talks about this being like a wardrobe change. I don't know if you've ever taken old t-shirts old clothes and used them around the garage as rags and when you change the oil in the car or whatever, but those clothes get pretty nasty. And this old way of life, this old behavior, according to Paul, is like walking around wearing those nasty clothes. That's what our behavior looks like, right? When, when I'm angry all the time. When I have malicious intent towards people, when I'm slandering people, and Jesus says, you need to take those old clothes off and put on new clothes. That is the resurrection's insistence in your life. He wants to change that about you. He doesn't want you to live for your own satisfaction or the approval of others or the acceptance of others. He wants you to live for Jesus because you have been raised with him. Now, here's the thing. In my experience, the Holy Spirit is very intentional to change me little by little. Can you imagine if the Holy Spirit, when I first started walking with Christ, turned on the lights and said, this is everything that's wrong with your life? I'd have said, this is impossible. There's no way that I can change. But little by little, he revealed things to me. For me, it began when I was younger, 17, 18 or so, with anger. You know, I think people back then, if you would have asked them about me, they would have said, he has an anger problem. But the Holy Spirit, he took off those clothes, he put on new clothes, and I started to, instead of walking in anger and resentment, started walking in acceptance and forgiveness See, these new clothes, they're life-changing. And once you experience new clothes, you never want to go back and put the oil rags on again. You want to wear those things in your behavior and in your life. And here's the thing, as your mind changes and your behavior changes, you start realizing that you have a new reason to live altogether. I mean, let me just ask you this morning, what are you living for? What, as you look at your life, is going to actually give you purpose and satisfaction in your life? Or here's another way you can think about it. What gets you out of bed in the morning? Sometimes we have the, the purpose of our life. It's like a ladder, and we have that ladder up against the wrong wall, and we're cry, climbing, and we're striving, and the further up the ladder we get, the more we realize I've been climbing in the wrong direction all along. The Apostle Paul said that that was his life in Philippians 3. He was living for the wrong things. He was living for his own self-righteous, religious reputation. Now, that might not seem important to you, but in his day, in his culture, that was everything. Anyone who was anyone knew the law and obeyed the law and lived for the law. Well, Paul says 
I hear Siri going off somewhere. She disappeared. All right. Paul said this, in light of the resurrection, I count all of those things as loss. You know what he means by that? He means that those things now mean nothing to him. They're irrelevant. They don't motivate him anymore at all. I've met people who, in our day and age, our standards, they had it all. They had the education, they had the income, they had the right kind of job, they had the right kind of reputation. And they look back now, post-resurrection, and they say, that was a loss to me. It means nothing to me. What means something to Paul now? Well, he explains it in verse 10. He says, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. You see, the reality of Jesus, the, the, the power of his resurrection, these things grew in Paul. These realities grew in him in such a way where he said, I don't want to leave anything on the field anymore. I want all of my life to be about Jesus and his purposes. He said it like this, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You know, as the reality of Christ grows in you, that same drive grows in you too. You're going to want to leave nothing on the field in this life. You're going to marvel over the fact that Christ has made you his own. This knowledge creates within you a, a new purpose for life altogether. You, you shift focus from an inward focus to an outward focus. And then, you know what happens? Real world changes. Like mended relationships that were incredibly broken or a change in your priority structure or a change in what you're willing to extend to others in terms of resources, whether that's your time or your skills or your treasures. You start putting other people first. You start telling other people about this Jesus who has shaped your life and you step into this new life that Paul's talking about. You see, the resurrection will radically change everything in your life if you will let it. I look back in church history I look at that first church that formed. There was something incredible about that first church. Listen to how they lived life and tell me, who lives like this? This is in Acts 4. It says, The full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and, and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and they laid it at the apostles' feet, 
and it was distributed to each as any had need. Now here's the thing, this is not proto-communism. These people still had their own individual property, their own individual possessions. No, these people had experienced a new reason to live, and that resulted in radical, outrageous generosity, not just with their possessions, but with their very lives. They fed the hungry. They clothed the naked. They went and visited the prisoner. You see, at the center of all of this is verse 33. The text says, with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as they did that, great grace was upon them all. That's resurrection power, church. It's always the force behind this radical new life that the Bible talks about. Now, some of us listen to this and we think, that just sounds too good to be true. But it's not. It's not too good to be true. No, I, I promise you that all of this is true, but sometimes we miss out on it because we go about obtaining it the wrong way. I want to attempt something this morning. I'm going to attempt to use a sports analogy. Now, anyone who knows me knows that I might say something stupid like football bat, but I will do my best. I want you to imagine two baseball teams that are deadlocked in a championship game. It's the bottom of the ninth inning. There's two runners who are out. The final batter comes up, and they hit a shot. I mean, they hit a great shot. It goes straight center field. It goes all the way to center field fence. It bounces off the fence and back into the infield. The runner runs for his life. He passes first base, second base, third base. And then as he races to home plate, the, in, the, the, the center fielder is throwing the ball. The ball goes all the way to the catcher. The runner slides in, and he makes it just at, in time. He tags home plate. The catcher misses him. Guess what the crowd does? They go nuts. They empty the, 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 the baseball team, empties the uh, seats, and they come out, and they start celebrating. In the midst of all of the pandemonium and celebration, the umpire yells, you're out. Now what happens? Well, the crowd boos. The manager goes berserk. He gets like two inches from the umpire's face and starts telling him everything that you're not allowed to say on television. When the man can finally get a word in edgewise, he says he's not out because he was tagged at home plate. He's out because he missed first base. You know, just like baseball, you can't receive the benefits of the resurrection. You can't get to home plate if you miss first base. There's no new life if you haven't trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Remember, we're not, we're not voting for Jesus from afar. We're not casually aligning our lives with him. It's a new life that he's calling us into. And this new life can only be embraced by faith, by trusting him. 
The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is that first step to the new life that Christ offers. Let me ask you to do something right now with me. Would you just for a moment close your eyes and bow your heads? And as you do that, I say this pretty often, we live in a very distracted age. Your attention is a commodity. God doesn't tend to get our attention as much as he should. But give him it right now. And as you're giving God your attention, I'm asking you this question. Have you touched first base? Have you said yes to Jesus Christ? If you haven't, all you need to do is tell Jesus that you need him, that you need his forgiveness, his power, and his presence in your life. Why not take that first step today? Why not tag first base today by praying this Easter prayer with me? And you can do that quietly right where you are. Dear God, thank you for sending your son Jesus Christ to earth. Jesus, I believe that you are who you said you are and that you proved it by rising from the dead. I want to get to know you personally. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me and forgiving all my sins. Please forgive me for all my sins and come into my life. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, change me into the new creation you want me to be. Thank you for your free gift of eternal life. Amen. Amen. Well, friend, if you tagged first base this morning, welcome. Uh, to the family. You are part of the family of God. You are part of this new life that Jesus and the, the Bible talks about all the time. And the next step for you is this. You got to keep coming back to church. You have to find a local church to sink down your roots and to grow with the family of God together. That's such a significant part of the life of faith according to the Bible. So I encourage you to do that Obviously, we're here every Sunday, so we'd love to have you here with us.